This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by VO2GoGo, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2GoGo.com slash start. Hello, and welcome to episode 146 of Inside Acting. My name is Trevor Elgott, and on this podcast, we interview actors, writers, directors, agents, managers, producers, casting directors, personal finance, and fitness and voiceover gurus, and anybody at all in the entertainment industry who's kind of been there and done that and are still doing it. And uh, we hear about their journey, ask our questions, hear their answers, and put that out there on the worldwide interwebs for you fine folks. And AJ and I are just two guys that started this thing because we wanted to hear what was working and what wasn't and kind of figure out what the common themes were and just keep learning without having to pay for it, essentially. So if you hear something on this podcast that maybe you think is uh, the God's honest truth or you hear something that you think is kind of scarily awful and off base and you really would rather that that information wasn't out there and you want to kind of set the bill straight... Feel free to get in touch with us. You can start at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. You can email us there. You can call our voicemail. You can leave a comment. You can tweet at us. You can talk to us on Facebook. Uh, we really invite every kind of opinion, comment, question, whatever it is. And on today's episode, we have uh, part one of my chat with actor Sam Anderson. You'll recognize his face from... God, a billion TV shows, uh, but most notably Lost, uh, Justified, and ER. He had some really great kind of long character arcs on all those shows. He's done some film, he's done a lot of theater, and it's just a great chat about his journey. So make sure you guys stick around for that. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 146 of the show. This is Trev. I am technically flying solo for this episode, sort of not really. The recording date that AJ and I had set up over the weekend fell through, uh, so I was going to just do this episode kind of on my own. But I asked AJ if he wanted to record a segment that he could then just kind of send in and I could, we could play on the episode so at least both of us make it onto the episode, which he did. And what I want to do to kind of simulate him being here as much as possible is I'm going to go ahead and play his segment back and just kind of be present for it because I actually haven't listened to it yet. So we're both going to hear uh, what's new in AJ's world in real time for the first time right now. So, uh, hey, AJ, what's going on? Hello out there in podcast land, this is AJ, and another week going by where Trevor and I are keeping busy as artists and our schedules didn't exactly line up, so we're uh, trying something a little out of the ordinary, not the first time we've done this, but I'm coming to you via a compartmentalized recording, I guess you could say. First of all, just want to uh, give a shout out to... Um, 
my Los Angeles Kings. For those of you who follow me on social media, you know that I am a crazed, born and raised Kings fan. And uh, we are currently up 3-0 in the Stanley Cup Finals. No disrespect to the uh, Rangers fans out there. But uh, hopefully we're bringing the Cup home to L.A. for the second time in three years. That would be really exciting. Some of the other things that got me excited this week, I had a slew of meetings, uh, including a meeting for a musical at the New York Fringe Festival, uh, a short film audition, and uh, a couple of diversity showcases. The uh, big learns from those, the New York Fringe Festival audition was very a very New York audition in that I just walked in the room, sang 16 bars, and left. No words were exchanged. It was very quick. And that seems to be the way things work as far as uh, a lot of the musicals out here go. Um, if they like the sound and they like the look, they'll call you back. But that's it was very, very quick. The short film audition was much more of a meeting than any uh, meeting I've had for a long time. And it reminded me of those stories you hear about famous directors meeting up with famous actors and just sitting down for lunch for an hour to see if the uh, director is interested and kind of get the vibe of that actor. And I just told myself after I left that meeting, I get to have more of these in higher, uh, I don't want to say higher paid, but bigger, sort of more A-list type uh, projects. Um, I've talked about the diversity showcases on the podcast before, and I've actually been invited to two this year. NBC, which has invited me to theirs in the past, and um, I just tweeted about this, HBO. Very excited about those, uh, especially the HBO ones, since I've never been in for them, and getting to meet their casting director or uh, director of casting was very cool. And these, for those of you who don't remember me talking about them on previous episodes, are basically a way for the networks, the various networks, to find ethnically diverse actors. So you've heard me talk about being ethnically ambiguous on the podcast before, and this is one of the areas where it actually works out in my favor. I know I talked about this a couple weeks ago and even made it uh, my selfishly my pick of the week, but I'm very excited to announce that Heathers, the uh, original cast recording of Heathers, is now live on iTunes a full something like week before it actually goes uh, ships out for anybody who pre-ordered the actual disc, the actual CD. So there will be a link to the Heathers album on iTunes on iTunes on our website so you can check out that in the in the show notes. I hope everyone is doing wonderfully out there and that you are taking care of your child artist and filling the well so to speak and looking forward to bringing you more fun stuff in next week's episode. Until then, take care. Awesome. So that was a little less interactive than I thought it would be because it was so news packed. AJ has come really Awesome uh, news. Congratulations there, dude. The, the showcases sound great. The meetings sound great. You, like I actually uh, talked to my buddy Nathaniel today. He's a mutual friend of ours, and I used to live with Nathaniel. And uh, and he was like, dude, AJ is like cranking. Like, what's what's the deal? Who's his who's his representation? Like, how's this how's this working? And it's 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 funny too because I, I don't know if we talked about this in the show, but before AJ shipped out to New York, there was like a big decision moment where he, he and uh, Jasmine were both kind of like, we were in our masterminds meeting all of us. And, 
basically we were just kind of brainstorming the pros and cons of, of going to New York. And my experience was that AJ was pretty solidly on the fence either way. You know, there were a lot of reasons to stay here in LA, the relationships he'd built, um, the, the experience that he had, the jobs that he had, the, um, you know, the support jobs and things like that. And there's a lot of reasons not to go to New York. And then there were a lot of reasons to go to New York and to not be in LA. And I could not be happier and more thrilled that uh, it seems very much that he's made the right choice. He's just really firing on all cylinders over there. So AJ, congratulations, man. So proud of you, brother, and love the shit out of you. So awesome to hear. All right. uh, No listener questions or voicemails for this episode. So we're going to roll right into part one with Sam. This guy is just such a great guy and um, such a great kind of journey that he's had. So I hope you guys love uh, part one as much as I loved kind of being there to ask the questions and listen to the answers and uh, pick Jenny this up. Hey everybody, this is Trev here, and I'm very, very excited to be sitting across from an actor that I've seen quite a bit on TV shows for a while. I mean, he had a, a 20 episode stint or so on ER. I think he's, he's had an arc on Justified. He was on Lost. He was most recently on uh, in the theaters on uh, uh, Water, sorry, in Water for Elephants. And now he's at the Kirk Douglas Theater in a great show called Different Words for the Same Thing. So, Sam Anderson, so pleased to be sitting across from you. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It was really cool how we kind of met. I was I was kind of manning an audition for this show. And yeah. You, and you walked in, and I <laughs> I think back, and I'm a little embarrassed because I was like, I reckon you look really familiar. Right. <laughs> and you just have one of the kindest faces that no, I, I've ever you. seen. And I thought, I thought this must be a, a friend of a family member or something that I, right. and I couldn't place it. Uh, and then you said, uh, you said, oh, well, have you ever watched Lost? So, yeah. so I, I imagine that you get this a lot. Yeah, I do. Um, and depending on what I've played most recently, it goes uh, back and forth from, gee, what a nice guy. Do I know him somehow? Or, why do I think I owe him money or he's mad at me? You know, if they've seen something that's a little darker. Uh, wow. Because I really like to go across the boards as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Because on ER, you played a really kind oh, of reprehensible character. It was. He was a real, real dark dude. Yeah. And um, it, it would happen that I would be stopped and in a mall somewhere. When, and my kids at that point were, I have twins and they were babies. And so I'd have a stroller. I'd have, you know little cloths over my shoulder. I'd have bottles in my hand and two or three women would come up and just start letting me have it. You know, just how can you treat that poor intern that way? She's really good at her job and how can you not know that? Wow. Yeah. So what was that conversation like? You had to actually tell them it's, it's acting guys. Yes, yes, yes. Look (laughs) at me. I just said, how harmless do I look? You know, for real. Wow. But I like playing him. I also actually had the experience where I had to visit a friend in Cedars who was in for some minor surgery and as I was in an elevator, two doctors got on and just looked over at me and said, doctor. I said, doctors. <laughs> and we rode up. So apparently oh that's, uh, that's an actor's occupational hazard. Wow. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, so where did, where did you get your start then? Did you grow up in L.A.? I did not. I'm a small town kid. I grew up in both Dakotas, actually. I spent the first, let's say, 
11 years in South Dakota, and then my dad got transferred. He was in the grocery business, and we moved to North Dakota. I was there for another 10. I did New York after I graduated from college. I did a USO tour that took me to Iceland, Greenland, Labrador, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, and the North Pole. How about that? <laughs> Literally flying, being flown out in helicopters and dropped down on decks of Coast Guard icebreakers and doing shows for the troops. Oh, my God. In the late 60s. Wow. It was a one-of-a-kind experience in wow. places you would never go. You know? so, so when did you know that you wanted to get into this business? Uh, I knew that I wanted to act from the time I was a very small kid, and I really never changed my mind. Uh, I have no real recollection of a moment where it happened, but I do know in the small town that my grandfather used to take me to the movies on Saturday Saturday mornings or Saturday afternoons when I was a kid. And I do have this memory of watching him watch the movie hmm. and watching what happened to him and watching how many different emotions went across his face and how amazing it was to see somebody get that involved. And then I'd go back and watch the movie and go back and watch him and watch the movie and watch him. And I do remember thinking how cool to make people feel like that. And as I got older, then I became much more interested in psychology, the psychology of character, what makes them tick, how they behave, um, figuring that you can understand anybody or make an attempt to, and makes the world a better place if we do. Hmm. You're the first person that I've ever spoken to that said, uh, I watched other people's reactions when I was a kid, mm -hmm. watching film and television, things like that, mm -hmm. as much as you watch the actual thing in front of you. Yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah. I found it fascinating. And I suppose at that age, you know, if you're really little, you're learning by modeling. You know, right. You're learning by watching someone else and going, wow, this is really affecting him. He's really happy. He's really sad. He's, And he was, thankfully, you know, pretty open, emotional guy. So it was great. Wow. Wow. So you were just a young, a young wee lad at that point. Yeah. And then I, I think I did, as I recall, I did school plays, you know, when there was an opportunity. It was a really small town. Um, and I loved, I loved that opportunity to make people feel something. I just loved it. I mm. just thought it was a really, really cool thing to do. And I also liked behaving like other people. I loved stealing their behavior. I loved imitating it. I loved, uh, trying to connect the two a little bit later that, uh, you know, what makes the impulse to behave that way? Uh, where's the psychology of that person? And conversely, how does that psychology make someone behave that's really interesting and unique? Huh. And it was a lot of fun. I loved it a lot. I did a lot of music as well. I was, uh, I was a keyboard player, and so um, I got involved in musicals pretty early. And actually, right about the time of high, high school, college, and right out of college, I figured what I really wanted to do was go to New York and be on Broadway. Um, so I did go to New York out of school, and I found the city coming from the wide open spaces of the prairie where I did, I found the city incredibly claustrophobic, uh, sooty, uh, just crazy. The people were moved very fast and were very cranky most of the time. Um, and it wasn't, it just wasn't my space. Um, I had an opportunity to audition for a musical and I had an opportunity to be in the chorus. And I chose not to because I didn't want to spend my life in the chorus, and I thought that's what might happen to you. So through a set of circumstances, I ended up going back to the Midwest. I literally stumbled into a master's degree in American Lit and Creative Writing. 
back at my old university. I had had a double major that I didn't know about. And uh, I finished that, wrote a screenplay. Um, Did you say you had a double major you didn't know about? Yeah, because my focus was always the theater. So I, I... Along the way, I took every English course imaginable, oh. and I loved it, but I just didn't realize I had a major in it until oh, wow. it got to be time to take a look at it. Huh. And through a set of circumstances and needing a job, you know, I got a graduate assistantship there and was able to get a master's degree and loved every minute of it. It was wonderful. It was a wow. wonderful place to study. I studied with a guy named Robert Lewis, who was one of the top scholars in the country on Hemingway, Faulkner, and Fitzgerald, who were sort of my guys in, yeah. in that era. Yeah. Um, he started a uh, prairie literary conference that brought writers in from all over the world and exposed the local people to them and them to everybody else. Uh, James Dickey was one of the first, and one of my first gigs as a grad student was to be his chaperone and get him around from place to place. One of, a, one of a kind of experiences that I really loved. When wow. I finished it, uh, I finished the degree, I, uh, through a friend I had met in Summerstock, heard about a teaching job in a California community college that was uh, that a man had uh, started a very successful department about an hour out of LA in the desert and he was taking his first sabbatical in 30 years so they were looking for someone who would be available for only that one year substitute position and I had just got my masters though it was in English and this was in theater I still had a minor in theater and psychology so I uh, came out and interviewed. I got the job. Uh, he did not come back. They wow. hired me permanently, so I was in my early 20s, and I had tenure. Wow. Which was crazy. Yeah. Ran a theater department, um, and I understood fairly quickly why he got very tired because he was teaching so many classes a semester and directing five plays a year and running the department and running the budget and doing all this stuff. And I did it for four years. And it was a great four years, but I felt towards the end of it, I still hadn't done what I really wanted to do. And I couldn't, uh, New York hadn't really worked out for me because of the city. Um, I wasn't sure what else to do because I just thought it would always be the theater. I didn't know where, but I thought it would be the theater and not other media at that time. And then um, I just made a decision to try L.A. So I quit the job, came to L.A., started over, knowing wow. one person. And uh, it was very interesting because a lot of the guys I taught with initially said, wow, don't give up your security. You know, your security is the most important thing, and you're going to have this forever. And I went, I know, but I still have this feeling that this is just something I have to do. Um, around that time, there was a poet from San Francisco who was one of the City Lights guys with Ferlin Getty and all those people. And mm-hmm. his name was Gregory Corso, and he wrote a poem. Um, yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, yeah. wrote a poem called Marriage. Um, and even though it's about marriage, it might as well be about a million other things. Um, he's deciding this character in the poem is deciding whether or not he wants to get married and he wants to just really live that life once and for all. And what he finally says is, um, what happens to me if I'm 60 years old, all alone in a rented room with pea stains on my underwear, and I've never done the thing I wanted to do? Yeah. And that just resonated with me so deeply. I thought, okay, you know, that's really important. I don't want to be that guy either. Hmm. So I did. I just came and started over and literally started doing all kinds of things, you know, that I never thought I'd be doing. 
um, while I was trying to get my career started and figure out how L.A. worked and how the business worked and all that stuff. Um, I continued to do theater. Uh, how, how old were you? How old, sorry to interrupt. Well, by now I was 26. Okay, so you got here in your, your mid to late 20s. Absolutely. And the first agent I met, by the way, told me I was way too old to be starting and I should just go home and not. And if I'm I not had, surprised. If I'd listened to her, I would have done that. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't for whatever reason uh, and uh, stayed on and tried to navigate it and see how it all would uh, fit for me. It worked out okay? It did. <laughs> it so, did. so you were saying you had some odd jobs and, and whatnot? I did, or? you know, but I did interesting things. I was never, I didn't wait tables. I didn't do any of that stuff. I would stumble into these other things that um, required different skill sets. Because I was a keyboard player, I was also a really good typist, and this is pre-computer, of course. And so I got a job at a news monitoring service, typing transcripts of interview shows and news stories for clients, various big corporate clients, um, that I could turn out as quickly as I possibly could. And it was a flexible job that allowed me to go on interviews if I needed to. I did some stage managing. I did a very interesting kind of stage managing with... Uh, a one-man show on Teddy Roosevelt starring James Whitmore, who was mm. a spectacular man and actor. Um, they were doing it initially in L.A. in a rehearsal period, then they were taking it to New York and then taking it on the road, and he was doing Teddy Roosevelt. Um, I happened to be doing a part-time gig in the producer's office, and they needed someone who knew something about stage to go down and help out with stage managing. So I became the assistant stage manager. In the middle of those rehearsals, they needed somebody to record a ragtime score and create it. And I said, well, I can do that. So Perfect. I did that. And then it went off. It went on the road. It went uh, to New York. And it went all over the country. And then they decided they were going to film it. They were coming back to L.A. and the stage manager wasn't available. Um, this is an interesting string of events in terms of what you talk about typically on the show with how things happen to you. Yeah. Um, so they called me up, the producer called me up and said, do you think that you could stage manage the show with a full live audience at the Amundsen Theater? At the Amundsen? At the Amundsen, while a director, well, a film director, is directing it as a film with 12 cameras. And I said, sure. You know, because you're always supposed to say, yeah. whatever it is, you're supposed to say, I can do it, and then, you know, deal mm. with the consequences. Um, so I did. It was uh, the learning curve of that was pretty steep and pretty incredible yeah, for imagine. a week. And yeah. from that time on, I've had the utmost respect for crew people, for stage managers. I can't even tell you, man. I'm, I'm the nicest person they'll ever work with in terms of understand with, in terms of understanding their jobs, because I've been there and I had you know 30 people yelling at me all at the same time on the same pair on the same headset, uh -huh. and everybody in conflict with each other, which was hysterical, and an audience having responses at the same time. Oh so my God. it was an amazing experience. Out of that, they had a party. There was a rap party, and the rap party was held at the Playboy Club, which. At the time, I wasn't even sure it was for real. The Playboy, as in the Playboy Mansion? The Playboy Mansion, but there was a separate Playboy club okay. that key holders you okay. know, could get into. If you remember, that was a really big thing to be for guys. So we all went to the, we went to the party at the Playboy club. And in between discovering that there really were bunnies and they really did have costumes with tails, uh, I watched this DJ. And this goes back to what we started talking about earlier about watching my grandfather. 
it just became a habit. And there was a DJ that they'd hired who apparently was brand new. And he couldn't make anything work right. The, the, the mics wouldn't work right. The music wouldn't stay on. There was loud feedback, it, all kinds of stuff. People on the dance floor were very cranky. But he never, ever lost the smile on his face or his confidence. So he was, he was just a riot. It was just the greatest character ever. And I thought, one of these days, man, I'm going to find a way to use that because he's, this is just brilliant, brilliant character. And inside, he must have been like yeah. jello. Yeah. But on the outside, he was just, I'm just not going to let anything get me. I'm going to keep a smile on my face and the day's going to be great. Right? Well, let's say a week goes by after that party and out of the blue I get a phone call from a casting director who had seen me in a play and had sort of become a champion she just loved my work her name was Fran Bascom she passed away this last year and an absolutely amazing lady and an amazing uh, amazing mentor and someone who really really helped actors a lot in this town um, in positions like me who would come out of the theater but didn't have a lot of credits yet so she tracked me down and said, um, they are a friend of mine is casting a show called WKRP in Cincinnati. It's a new show. And they're looking for a last-minute guest star shot that they had just written about a very um, eager but not very competent disc jockey that they're trying to hire no for the station. Way. No kidding. <laughs> I said, I'll, whatever time they want to see me, I'll be there. Wow. And... I got there, and I don't know if whoever wrote it happened to be at the same party or if it was just an idea that somebody had out of the ethos. I don't know. Whatever it was, it was absolutely, timing-wise, it couldn't have been more perfect. They hired me on the spot. I started the following Monday. And then Hugh Wilson, who created the show, became another champion of mine along the way. And every year that they were on, he wrote a different character for me to come on and do that was some kind of very screwed up official or FBI agent or very anxious disc jockey. I think I played two of them at different times. So, so you were a lot, you, you came on this show repeatedly in several different roles? Mm -hmm. I did. And the audience was just cool? Was this a sketch show? Or? No, no, so, no. Okay. It was a regular half-hour sitcom. I did one a year, every year they were on. In the fourth year, we were talking about, he was talking with me about adding me to the show as someone who would just do that on a weekly basis. Oh, wow. Come on every week and play something else. And at the time, that would have been Nirvana for me. I would have loved every minute of it. They didn't stay on the air that long. They got canceled. Mm. So, but in, in the midst of that process and getting to know him, I also sold them a script that I ended up getting to write. So it was great. Wow. The last year. So it how turned out to that? be a wonderful relationship. So how long did that take from, from the, uh, we'll say the stage management gig at the Amundsen all the way through to, to this show? Within a month. Really? That Absolutely. quickly? Absolutely. So you had only been in LA uh, less than a, uh, a couple years? I had years, been or? here a couple of years by then, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. But yeah. the, it's, things started to happen for you because um, you were just saying yes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think when you, when people come here, especially if they have no history with it and no real contacts, it's a very difficult place to figure out. And you can go to the bookstores and buy the lists and buy the books about this is how it really works. But I ran into a friend who was a lifelong friend and a still close friend of mine today who said the smartest thing I ever heard here, which was everybody's going to tell you that there are rules here that you just can't break. 
So they're going to tell you you're too old, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too ethnic, you're not ethnic enough, you're too good-looking, you're not good-looking enough, you can't play this, you can't play that. Um, and they're going to find a reason to say no all the time. And all you have to remember is everything about it is subjective. And for every time you hear that sentence come out of somebody's mouth, someplace else in town, somebody's breaking that rule. Yeah. So just don't ever let it get in your way. I thought it was brilliant, and I never forgot it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is crazy. Now, when you were doing some of these other, other gigs, mm-hmm. uh, specifically the stage management gig, yeah. did you ever get frustrated that you were maybe falling into a, 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 a line of work or a, a secondary career path that was removed from what you had originally intended? Yes. Um, yeah, I felt that many times. And yet, underneath it all, there was this feeling that nothing has changed. Every time I would check in, um, I was very aware of timing. You know, I think the four years I spent teaching was as long as I went into another area and really stayed there. Um, I happened to love teaching. That came out of that. Um, I had a lot more trouble with the system and the way it worked and just the bureaucracy of uh, yeah. organized education. I still teach. I teach now. Um, I teach a scene study class for professionals. Oh, cool. That is among my favorite things that I do. I've been doing it for about the last five years. Is that with the road? or um, It's not with the road. I rent the road from the road okay. um, where I artistic direct. But it's my own yeah. thing. It isn't, it isn't connected to it at all. And um, that's just something I wanted to do to give back because I had a hard time recommending a lot of people. I didn't know them when people would ask me. And I heard a lot of stories about um, people feeling that um, a lot of teachers, I don't think everybody does this anymore, but back at this time there was a lot of uh, real real tough love and um, mm-hmm. probably bordering on, you know, abusive behavior <laughs> um, language-wise in, or- in order to try to get people to work or work through something. Yeah. And I had the great pleasure during another part of my career a little later when I'd really started working and I was doing a lot of television once I started I started and um, I made it really clear for myself that I didn't want to get stuck in any one thing Um, it's it's a place where there are so many of us that for people who work in the business and want to talk about someone there's it's nice for them to have a thumbnail way to talk about you you know, he's that guy who's funny. He's that guy who plays the psycho killers, you know, all that stuff. I didn't want any one of those things to ever stop me because I didn't want to have to play one thing. Just like I didn't want to get stuck in another job somewhere that I would never get out of, I didn't want to just get stuck in a role that would become mine forever. I would be the next-door neighbor on the sitcom, the brother of the sitcom, the brother of the lead, uh, any one of those things, the kind of second banana funny guy. Um, I did that a lot. I worked on Growing Pains for a long time. I worked on Perfect Strangers, which is a wonderful Mm -hmm. job with um, two great producers, Tom Miller and Bob Boyette, Mm -hmm. who were so kind and so understanding that when I joined their show, they said, look, we're really happy to have you. We know what you do. Um, You'll knock this out of the park. But in the meantime, if anything else comes up for you that you want to play, we understand that and come to us and we'll let you go. And they did. Wow. They were amazing. They were just amazing. So while I was doing that show, I was 
I was recurring on Growing Pains, and I was also I started a recurring gig on L.A. Law, where I played somebody very different, who was a young, dark, hot shot uh, district attorney who always competed against Susan Day in the courtroom and always lost. <laughs> but it was great fun losing. Wow. Yeah. So you, you really, it sounds like a lot of your um, kind of success, at least in the early years, was really aided by these, these people that you said champ- were champions of your yes. work. Yes, I think that's true for everyone. I think, you know, those people are still out there who, um, who see work that they, they just really like and want to bring it in. I know many of them who do that, and I have great respect for them because it's a really tough job to do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially now that we're in the age of indie film, you know, the market I think is wide open mm-hmm. for looking for people. And it's really nice to see how people get their starts. So you've really just been able to parlay that momentum through the decades, really. Yeah, you know, um, I, I guess that's the case. Uh, I am so much a here and now person that I tend to not think in either um, yesterday or tomorrow as much as I used to probably. Um, I'm always about what's happening right now, and I'm a much happier person because of that. Mm. Uh, so for me, it's more like going from project to project, and you know, this is really fun to do, and this sounds interesting, and this is really different from what I just did. Early on, um, when I had some, when I first got agents who really had a lot of... Um, a lot of connections and power inside the industry in terms of getting me indoors that I hadn't been able to get in before. I made it clear that even though the sitcom was an easy sell, it wasn't all I wanted to do. You know, I still wanted to do what I wanted to do when I started years ago, which is play all these different people. Mm-hmm. And so for a while, I would just avoid those long enough in order to find something on the other end of the fence, hmm. you know, to get a... Um, to get to play a psycho on some cop show or, you know, then into some authority figures and and just kind of keep trying to change it up yeah. so that um, as a character actor, I think you, you serve yourself best if you become known as the utility hitter, you know? Mm-hmm. They, you're not always going to do, like, the lead in the series maybe, but you're going to be brought in and given something great to do and uh, something that challenges you as an actor the way you like to be challenged and hopefully something that people respond to and really like. And yeah. I've been really lucky in terms of the ones of those that I've had yeah. that at the time maybe I didn't know, you know. Yeah. Uh, I had no clue. You know, that's that's so good to hear because some of the uh, advice that we've heard over the years um, comes from, you know, teachers and cast directors and things who mm-hmm. say, who say they hear a lot of actors say that they don't want to be typecast, they don't want to be boxed into a certain kind of role, mm-hmm. and their response is, why not? Yeah. If that's your in, get in, yeah. and then once you're in and you're working, then you can kind of branch out. Yeah. But what I think is unique about your situation is you have such a... Like like my friend Henry, uh, who actually, instead of going for one thing, he actually bills himself as the everyman. That's like yeah. that's like his literally. It's his tagline and all his yeah. emails and stuff. Yeah. And you have the same kind of quality, I think. Like yeah. I, I look at you and I, I see a very friendly guy. Yeah. But I know that you could turn on the psycho killer in a minute. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So it's it's really powerful, I think, to know that about yourself. And I yeah. would say just as powerful to know when you're that versus when you. Sorry, dude. You are the 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 um, you know the the fighter pilot guy. That's, right. That's always you. Right. 
Um, so right. that's, that's really, really great. And, and let's be fair. You know, I know guys like that. I have friends mm-hmm. like that who have made a very nice living being the fighter pilot guy. And they're yeah. very happy doing that, you know. Yeah. And my hat's off to them for doing what they want to do. My, mm-hmm. uh, my drives are a little more... Uh, they're just a little more varied and a little more complicated than that. I really like the idea of the change-up. I always yeah. have. You know, I love changing characters. I love exploring someone else. And for that reason, even as I started to work, I also I, I never left the theater in Los Angeles. I never left the small theater scene. That really, that really got me started here in terms of anybody seeing me because back then we didn't have reels and, you know, I certainly didn't have any credits. Um, but I started developing through, through that. It wasn't why I did it, but at the same time, I was really happy that that was a byproduct of it. Mm. And I've always managed to get back to it. And, you know, the latest chapter of doing this just gorgeous play at the Kirk Douglas Theater for Center Theater Group has been just a remarkable experience and really wonderful. And finally, I felt like I had some time that I could really give to it you know, mm-hmm. without saying, I don't think I can, I don't think I can come in even because, you know, I'm trying to destroy this guy unjustified or, right. um, you know, right. or I'm, I'm off being a grim or I'm, uh-huh. yeah. you know, one of those things. Um, yeah. And then the years of Lost, of course, I was going back and forth to Hawaii and I was doing a lot of other work, but it was very difficult to take a play. Yeah. You know, just yeah. not knowing what was going to happen. Yeah, I was thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of the uh, the actors in this show, and, you know, they, a lot of actors with some really rich credits and Very really rich so. careers. I mean, it's, yeah. it's really wonderful. And I, I think to myself, how rare to be able to get these kind of in-demand people mm-hmm. uh, in one place at the same time for six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, longer with the rehearsal period. Yeah, and I think the answer to that is, you know, a script, first off. Yeah, absolutely. That you respond to, you yeah. know, and... Boy, I can't tell you how much I responded to it when I first read it. It wouldn't leave me. Hmm. And it was at a time when I didn't think I, I'd even be free to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, then it worked out that I could, and I was, I was really, really pleased. And I think everybody at one time or another in the cast has said something like that, that it just kind of grabbed them and wouldn't let them go. And then, you know, the gravy is you work with Neil, Neil Keller, who yeah. is so spectacular and yeah. has such a vision and loves actors and has great stories and is very patient Mm. and says just enough at the right time to move you forward in what you're doing you know so it's been it's been as much fun as i've had forever that's every minute so great yeah All right, guys, welcome back to the part after the interview. Not welcome back. That would just be welcome to the part after the interview. Hope you dug part one of my chat with Sam. Part two is coming at you guys next week. On to picks of the week. AJ's pick is, as you heard earlier, uh, the Heather's original cast recording musical album soundtrack. Uh, link to that on our website. That, that's the iTunes link over in the show notes on our on our website. But that is so freaking cool, man. I am just so gleefully excited, uh, and yes, I use the word glee uh, purposely, for, for what AJ's been up to. So again, congratulations, man. My pick of the week is X-Men, for, uh, not First Class, X-Men Days of Future Past. I saw it in the theaters not too long ago, and 
You know, all these movies have a little bit of a cheeseball element to them, but I thought this one was pretty well done. It was paced well. The the um, stakes felt very high to me. And the... You know, they got some great actors in that movie. Michael Fassbender and Hugh Jackman and all the other guys. James McAvoy, obviously Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. And, you know, it's a really great cast. It's very... Mm, it's very masculine. It's There's a lot of testosterone-fueled dudes, you know, throwing energy around that screen. Uh, which is both a good and a bad thing, depending on your, your viewpoint. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of like Matrix meets Inception meets the world of Marvel. So I uh, highly recommend uh, X-Men Days of Future Past and highly recommend seeing it in the theater. It was it was pretty fun. No listener pick of the week this week, uh, but we do have a listener, I'm sorry, a patron of the week, which is longtime listener George Savage. Uh, actually, on our patron page, he's listed as George Lionel Savage. And uh, George is a great dude who came out to support us uh, in person in First Squad, support AJ and I, when uh, Gospel According to the First Squad was up and running. And that's how we got to meet him in person. And we've talked about him many times in the podcast and referred to some of the work that he's doing, some of the activist work that he's doing. And of course, um, he is just fearlessly pursuing uh, a career in uh, the entertainment industry. And his blurb says that he's basically a retired ad writer and exec executive, uh, and he's now fired up uh, as a character guy, loving the highs of acting and the fun of auditions. In two years, he's had 33 featured or lead roles. He's had months and months of training, voiceover, commercial, and film and TV agents. He's had the works. So he's now seeking Westside actors for his weekly on-camera scene co-op group. And then he puts uh, kids' eyes rolling. I'm not quite sure what that means because I think an on-camera scene co-op group is one of those things that a lot of actors talk about. And maybe they start it um, and maybe it lasts one or two meetings. But um, I think it's a great thing to do is to leverage uh, each other as a resource. Uh, I have thoughts about actors directing actors, but we can talk about that on another episode. Um, but I think it's good to just build community wherever you can and really just, you know, remember that we're all in the same boat and, um, and leveraging that, that kind of energy and that, that set of eyeballs and ears that kind of know what to look for. So George, thank you so much for your ongoing support. Everybody check him out. He's got got a little featured section in the show notes of, of this episode. And of course, all our patrons are found online at our website. Just click on the patrons tab. Uh, from the top menu there. And that about does it for episode 146. You guys know where to get in touch with us. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on iTunes. We're on Actorated. We're on the interwebs. You can leave us a voicemail. Everybody knows the number for that. That's also on our uh, on our website. And, of course, you can donate to the podcast. That's really the big one. Um, it's really great uh, if people listen to the show and get a lot from it and talk about it and tell their friends. Uh leaving a review on itunes is even better and if you really kind of want to put your money where your mouth is uh a couple bucks here and there makes a big big difference in in keeping this show going i know we say that every episode like oh it makes a huge difference but but really it does like literally we have money coming in from generous uh and awesome giving people that uh that keeps us going every week and if that money dried up the podcast would stop And the more of it that we have coming in, the bigger and better we can make this thing. And we have a lot of projects that are kind of in development, but they're sort of stalled because we don't quite have the capital for it yet. And short of selling more ads on the podcast and hawking affiliate products and things like that, which is something we are are looking at, but 
we want to just have as much integrity around it as possible. So short of doing that, we're relying completely on listener donations to fuel this thing. And so it's a little bit slow going as the, as the donations come in because some of these things cost a lot of money. Um, so we're kind of saving for it um, while supporting uh, the production of the podcast at the same time. So if you're thinking of donating, now is a great time to do it. I know that we're all strapped for cash and that money's tight, but I can think of no other way to generate more money in your life and more abundance in your life than by outflowing. And it doesn't have to be much. It could just be like two, three bucks. Seriously, try it. It's awesome. You will see. All right, that about does it then for episode 146. Uh, On behalf of AJ, our co-host, Jen, our production coordinator, and Cesar Gamino, our technical producer, my name is Trevor Algott. We'll see you next time. This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download.